All right, Drew, you get no intro. How's that for an intro? You were past the intro. You've been doing this for a long time, man. I, I, it's, it's gotten to the point where what I'm like, share, or is there somebody with, with a single name, with yeah. one syllable name? Except yeah. it's Dr. Drew. Yeah, I call, right. I call you Drew as a friend, but you are Dr. And, Drew. And by the way, David, I, I am so excited to be here. I don't even know where to start with you. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I, 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 you've been calling us for your clarion call to return to Florida, move to Florida has been ringing in my ears for quite some time. Every time we come to South Florida, we are happier. People are happy. Everything's functioning. Businesses work. What did, my wife sitting over here, I was yeah. telling her the other night, we walked around Coconut Grove. Yeah. And I was like, I just feel so good seeing people thriving and socializing and happy. And I just miss that. There's not many places in the country where that exists anymore. And yet you live in a place called Los Angeles. Yes. Tell me about that place. It's an it's, interesting place. We became friends there. I said, I'm leaving. And you that's said, what I missed I, about You said I should leave. And and yet you have not left. You're here. Look at you. You're glowing. You're glowing. I, I, I know. Actually, I got a sunburn in your great <laughs> Miami heat here. That's what most of that is. I was out in the sun yesterday. But uh, California sucks. It's very depressing. We have, you know, Susan's my wife's from Orange County, and so we spend a bunch of time out there, and that's a little bit of an enclave from what does suck in in California, and uh, and we are deep roots. You know, my practice is there, everything is there. It's hard, kids are there. It's it's hard to pull yourself out, though I fantasize about it all the time. So I've been gone for about two and a half years now, yeah. and you were considering at least for a brief we're still period, we talk about it all. No, the no, time. no, not considering moving. I I accept that it's mm. very clear to me. Mm. You were considering running for governor. Oh yeah, there were yeah. some discussions about that. Yeah, um, obviously the recall didn't work out. Now it looks like Newsom may be on his way to replacing old Joe. I mean, is, has anything gotten bad there? Is or anything gotten better there? Is there any sense yes. of hope there? Is there anything? Mm. Hope. It's easy for me to do all the negative stuff. Everyone yeah. gets it. it. There is, you know, I, the the main thing that has been my sort of what's making me so deeply disturbed. What started my 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 problem in California was the way they dealt with the homeless because these are people that I these are my patients. When people get severe severe enough mental illness, severe enough uh, enough addiction that they end up on the street, that is the most seriously deteriorated. And they die. They die on the streets of L.A. County, and they die at seven to eight per day. And in my opinion, that is negligent homicide, period. And it's been that for eight years, and it just hasn't changed. It's it's so clear what to do. It's easy. It's not a problem. San Francisco did it. They moved them out in one day, and they could have gone, hey, come with me. We've got a place for you, and created a, a therapeutic living environment with you know steps, sent them through it to get vocational rehab, return them to a meaningful life. You can treat these things. Wait, just but, not to confuse people. They got them out because the Chinese uh, prime minister was coming, but they're all back. They're all you back. You know that they're now. All so they I, I don't know where do, they yeah. put them or what they did with them, but they cleared them out. So it is possible to go, hey, come with me. That's yeah. all you got to do is go, hey, come with me. We, the, we have privileged brain disorders where insight is the main problem. You know, people with severe mental illness have something called anosognosia. They block the insight to what's happening to them, and you, and they will die. They just That is a terminal illness, worse than most cancers, particularly in the setting of addiction, and they just, meh, no big deal. But there is hope. They, they're looking at improving conservatorship. They're starting to talk about it as a, as a mental health thing and an addiction problem, and they're trying to say that we've got to get these people treatment. It would be, I know exactly how to structure the programs. I know exactly how to staff it. I know exactly where to put it. I have picked the building and we could put thousands of people through these programs so easily. But, but do you think they can actually do it? I mean, I always used to find it kind of funny. Maybe you wouldn't find this funny as a yeah. doctor, but I always found it kind of funny driving around LA. There would be signs, billboards all over the place for LA mental health, blah, blah. And yeah. I always thought, well, that would be the worst place to get your mental health fixed in some LA city hospital like. To me, that would be crazy. I suspect you'd be up to something different, but do you think that the people there, the machinery there, has the will to do anything that would actually work? No. It'd have to be, re, it'd have to be redone. I appreciate be, the honesty. It, and, and there would have to be laws in place that yeah. are undoing of laws that allow you to help these people. And But it wouldn't be that hard. I mean, what you're pointing at is that generally LA County health facilities have trouble functioning. Right. And they, historically, they certainly do, and certainly on the mental health side. But a lot of that problem is the laws. You can't keep them. You can't put them in. You can't do anything with them unless they say, I'm here and I want help. And they continue to say that. And otherwise, you can't do anything. And that nobody with addiction says that. Here's what people with addiction are concerned with. You know what they're concerned with? Getting more drugs. Doing drugs. That's yeah. what they're concerned right. with. That's so the nature of the illness. In all the years that you've been doing this, do you see the, the actual, because of the um, 
the potency of the drugs, yeah. do you see it all getting much worse now? Like in, in a different way, or is, or is that level, when people are at that level already, is it kind of the same? But it's now- more, it's, more da- it's, it's more easily addictive. So it, because the more potent the drug, the higher the, 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 the delivery system, if you're using your lungs, if you're using intravenous, that increases the addictive quality and of course the potency as well. But really the main thing with the fentanyls that you're talking about, synthetic yeah. opiates, which is the danger. There's just such a narrow window to death. And so they're dying at an incredible rate. And they're mixing I, I, it. I know someone that died about three weeks it's, ago. It's very common. It's, it's it, Look, it's, it, this is what drives me insane. Because that if you're shooting IV her- opiate or heroin or fentanyl and you're on the street, you are going to die. That is a that is the nature of the condition. It's just a matter of when. It's a, it's a progressive. This is the part that all the California legislature leaves out. Is a progressive illness that ends in death, and if you and it's treatable, right? That's the horrible thing. It's, it has a worse prognosis than the vast majority of cancers untreated by far, and it's treatable. How much of this do you now connect to your politics? Because obviously, I my th- politics, I, yeah. Well, because I don't think of you as political first, but now, no, especially I, in light of COVID, I think you've become more political. As I said, you were thinking about running for governor. You're in a place that everything's kind of backwards. Yes. But I sort of think of you as just an old school liberal who's now been hit in the head with school. the frying pan, which is how many of us are. I, I'm ex- I, I really think if we had talked to each other 12 years ago, we would have been exactly in the same place. Yeah. Like, we old school liberal started moving towards libertarian. Then I met some libertarians and I thought, well, I'm not that. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I have a heart. You believe of, in driver's license. Okay. It's funny. Leo Terrell was the one that really pointed that out to me. He goes, yeah. hey, I was, he, we were doing, he, we were co-hosting a radio show together. And I was like, oh, I'm libertarian. I don't want to leave me alone. Leave me alone. And, and he goes, what do you want to do with the homeless? He goes, I want the government to fix that. And he goes, oh, okay, Mr. Libertarian. You want the government to fix the homeless thing? A okay, classical liberal is just a guilty libertarian. That's <laughs> Could be. Yeah. I, I, well, I'm in that zone. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, people keep calling me. I don't know where I am. So I, 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 just want, I, want, I personally want to be left alone. But I do want government to function and solve some of the problems we have. So to get us to where we started. Yeah. So now you come to the free state of Florida. Yeah. I know personally what that difference is oh my gosh what what keeps all right you said that your family deep roots, you, you deep said that roots. deep roots and family but like do you have do you think that there's enough good people there to turn any of this around no, i don't mean just okay, that they so, can maybe get one good drug hospital or this or that so that was oh gosh that was what i was thinking when i started thinking about For, first i thought well damn a shift is my congressman he doesn't do anything for us, and he was running. He was running again at the time, and I thought I should I should run for that that position because somebody's got to do something. I kept thinking, saying we have to do something because these people are not doing anything for us. Somebody's got to do something. So I kind of thought about that, and then no, and then somebody came around. Oh, you should run for governor. So they actually put me on the phone with Schwarzenegger, who encouraged me. I thought he would talk me out of it. Huh. He encouraged me. He says the greatest thing you could ever do. I, I'm not going to quote what he said, but he said, you got, you got to be prepared for the, the politicians up there, which is the hard part. Yeah. Um, and then I, I have prostate cancer. I needed some radiation therapy that summer. So I said, all right, for, that's enough. God's telling me something. I'll just get the radiation. And, and not only was God telling me something, my wife, Susan said, no, let's not do this. <laughs> don't do this. I don't want to do this. Yeah. Uh, and so we've sort of stepped out of it since then. I should continue to say no, but I still have this feeling that somebody's got to do something. And so what we've been doing, um, my something lately is this um, streaming show we've been doing. I think it's, yeah. we really became more sort of uh, popular and entrenched since I was last here. We do it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 3 o'clock Pacific. It's called Ask Dr. Drew. And we've been interviewing uh, all so many of the physicians and researchers that were canceled during COVID. And my original sort of notion with that was, well, th- these are incredible. They're decorated professionals. I mean, why did they cancel these guys? Mm-hmm. So I already had a curiosity, like, what, 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 what's going on here? And I thought, well, at very minimum, maybe I'll, I'll learn something, which I did from every single one, and sometimes a lot. Do you miss anything now that you're doing the online thing about the mainstream thing? Because you've had many, many. The mainstream how, thing? How many shows have you had on mainstream media many, over the years? Many, Probably many, a dozen many. or something. I mean, it's, it's a oh, lot. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. yeah uh, I think the first television show I ever did was your HLN show. I think that was literally the first TV Is appearance. that right? That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And I always thought it was funny because you had a great studio, but sometimes they would keep us all in different boxes. In anyway, different rooms, anyway. right? So you'd yeah. be in there. I'd be like, wait, I want to be in the room with this guy. And they'd have five other guests and we'd all be in rooms next to each other. Yes. But it seemed like we were all in different well, countries. So we, 
So <laughs> we sort of invented the boxes looking out to camera. Yeah. You know, we were like five people yeah. in boxes. That, that CNN that took- But people didn't us. understand. We were literally in the same hallway. Well, so what what happened was they were like, we had to you know, be creative, redo your show. And Bert Dubrow was my, yeah, my, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my EP. And we both went, well, audience. If we had an audience, that would make a difference. So if you remember, they built an audience. Yeah, yeah. I think I did it once actually in studio with the With an audience. And we bring a couple of co-hosts in and we do an audience thing with questions. It was really good. They they didn't want to pay for the audience. And so we started coming back into the studio, just a dark room, and that looked weird. And so then we just went back to the boxes. And so, so do you miss anything about that? Or now you're, you're you own your thing. You're doing locals. You're we're you're we're doing the same you're, thing. Yeah. We're on Rumble. Like yeah. Rumble, we're doing extremely well. Thank you for yeah. that. I mean, it's what, happy I mean, to help. I, this whole world of parallel economy. Come to right? Florida, and then I'll have given you my entire collection of <laughs> stuff. <laughs> your entire life. Yeah. But well, I want to give you South Park. Yeah. I want to talk about oh, that okay, before okay. we're done yeah. because oh my guys I, will be very happy. I'm enjoying you. that more than anything. I can't yeah. believe you've not been a South Park watcher all these years. Yeah. But that, let, let's make sure yeah. we don't leave that out. Okay. Um, uh, I, I do, it, television is a medium of hits. And when you do get involved with a hit, there's, there's almost nothing more powerful than that. It, it does reach a lot of people. And in terms of doing something that makes a difference, I, I still miss that trying to get a large audience and move them and change them and, you know, affect them in certain ways. But you are doing that with the show, but I, I get it. You mean in like some weird cultural way where we all have to talk about the view as yeah. opposed to them talking about us. Yeah. Like we're, you know, we're, yes. And maybe this, I, I have a suspicion that Rumble and, you know, all these other platforms might get there. You're into your, you know, you're ending up doing essentially a broadcast because you're on so many different platforms, talking to so many different people. What I do like about this that's different from that is you have such highly motivated audiences. Mm-hmm. They, they appreciate it. They're tired of people disdaining them or selling them things when they feel like the the whoever the company is that's selling them something actually hates them. That's how they feel. That's terrible. That's awful. How, how much, we've talked about this a little bit before, but how much did your political evolution shift because of the COVID craziness? Because when I had you on last time in studio, still in LA, so it's about over yeah. two and a half years yeah. ago, you were still sort of saying some nice things about Fauci, and I know you guys have a history. I sense you've shifted a bit on that, or at least you're amenable to some other ideas. I am, I am open to everything now. I'm open to things that I never thought I would have been open to. And I, I really think that the door fully th- came open. I, I, I've realized that everything in the, in the news is BS. Everything. There is nothing that I can consume on any legacy media that I can trust. And that is shocking. And that's disturbing. And it makes you wonder how long it's been going on for. And I'm concerned it might have been a very long time. Yeah. Was when there I, a straw that broke the camel's back on that specifically? Yes. yes. Yeah. I was going to tell you that my, my interview with RF, my first interview with RFK Jr., he was so reasonable and so smart and so many interesting ideas. And enlighten me to this cozy relationship between the regulators and the pharma companies, which I really wasn't aware of. I mean, I can't let a pharma company representative into my office to give me a pen with a drug name name on it. And yet those guys are living together and cross-pollinating jobs. I mean, that's mind-boggling to me. So, and that he had a very sensible, didn't necessarily fully agree with it, but a sensible idea about vaccine research that he would like to push forward. Not that vaccines are bad. His family's all vaccinated. My family's all vaccinated. And at the end of that interview, he said something to me. I've, I've met him now many times since then. He goes, oh my goodness, you know, Drew, you are so courageous to talk to me. And I, and I thought, I, it blew me back in my chair. I thought, I need courage to have a conversation <laughs> with an adult in a public setting. And he was right. This is, this is a time where I didn't realize how much speech was being su- suppressed. Uh, how much was being manipulated, how much, uh, th- then what happened after that was the Twitter files and yep. they started seeing what was going on. And it's just, it's just been, uh, to me, th- this is all reprehensible. And what has happened as a result, I don't think I've shifted my political views. I've just really, in the. I never imagined I'd be in this point in my life at this age and place of my career. Freedom and freedom fighting and the courage to stand up for it have been the most important thing in my life right now. And that's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. I live in the United States of America and I have to f- worry about freedoms. I have to fight for freedom. That is an insanity. And I'm hoping it's something that will pass soon. 
Yeah, well, you know, there's a far less chance they're going to put you in a gulag in the free state of Florida rather than the communist people <laughs> of California. All right, I've sold Florida enough. What do you think psychologically, this is one of the things I talk about on the show a lot, yeah. that, that basically psychologically now, if you are somebody that watches corporate press and yeah. you pretty much think that is true, and then yeah. you're someone that maybe watches this or Rogan or you or just that mix of people, RFK in there too, of course, that your worlds are so different now that psychologically as a nation, how do we put that together? Like you could literally be basically living in a completely different world than your neighbor. We, we That is what we are doing. That's what's happening right now. And it it's actually makes me sad because it prevents any kind of discourse and conversation. People get, I can feel their stomach yeah. muscles tightening up when I just try to have a conversation. And that's, that's so disturbing to me. I, I, I guess, I think what's going to happen, I think enough uh, sort of slowly uh, uncovering of how much distortions have gone on and how arbitrary and capricious and 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 dangerous and horrible consequences these decisions have had. It's going to come to light. I don't know if it's going to be that there really are excess deaths. I'm worried that there are. If there are, that's going to keep happening and we're going to see something. I don't know if it's COVID. I don't know if it's COVID plus vaccine, but these conversations will evolve with time. And eventually, I think people will start to go, oh, I'm starting to see a bigger picture. I think the, I think the, a, a turning point was when Fauci admitted the six foot distance was invented out of whole cloth. It was invented from completely. Thin air. Yeah. And, and I knew that two years ago by talking to all these canceled doctors. And I talked to a guy named Paul Alexander two years ago who was in the room when uh, Redfield, that was the, yeah, the yeah. made the decision. He goes, why, why, why six feet? There's an aerosolized virus. It'd be 30 to 60 feet, certainly 10 feet. And they actually agreed on maybe 10 feet. They took 10 feet to the off the White House and some political operative said, well, no one will ever agree to that. I'll just say six feet. And so it was never a medical decision. It was no scientific basis to it whatsoever. It's had no utility. And yet, I mean, think about this, Dave, the whole world adopted it. The entire world. That, to me, is the really astonishing part about that experience of COVID. That the lockdown was adopted by the world. Six feet was adopted by the world. Masks were adopted by the world. With none of it being considered for risk-reward analysis, like what might happen as a result of this. And it was obvious to me there was going to be horrible mental health consequences. Mm-hmm. It was obvious. Yeah, I want to get to that. Obvious. Uh, or is there any medical data to support this? You were crushed if you tried to have that conversation. That's going to start to come to light for people. Do you think there will ever be any reckoning whatsoever? I mean, basically everyone who got us into this either yeah. still has their job or have retired with, yeah. with cushy retirements yeah. or, and or made hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in stocks on these things. I mean, is there any reckoning anywhere? Uh, I hope at, at minimum, particularly young people, become furious. They should be outraged and angry at what was done to them. If that happens, I will think, personally, I think that's enough. Now, I know there's a lot of people that want retribution, all kinds of legal action, whether civil or criminal. I, I really worry about that. I, I, I'm telling you, uh, the present moment, I've become obsessed with revolutionary France. Mm-hmm. Obsessed. And I wanted to put a chapter in my book on narcissism on pre-revolutionary france because it was the only period of history that i could find which as with as much narcissism and childhood trauma and one of my one of my conclusions that i wanted to put in that chapter which my editor told me was too speculative was that there would be scapegoating there would be guillotines that's Mm -hmm. what guillotine is just scapegoat just massive scapegoating and never heard of cancellation but here it came so scapegoating became this social media phenomenon that i predicted um why did i bring this up um so the the problem is that if you if you pull people up on the guillotine, the guillotines just kept keep going, and eventually everybody goes. It's a mathematical certainty of scapegoating. Eventually, everybody. First, it was the Jacobin, then it was the Saint Coulotte, and then it was the Royalists. Everybody goes on the guillotine if you, somebody doesn't say stop, 
So, so, so what at the all right? So if that's not possible or not realistic, or you're sort of afraid of what the end. And, and by the way, you, the other part is that you'll never get to the truth, right? Because people will be so defensive and scared, they're not going to come forward with what actually happened. So that, I'm, I want the truth out. That's so, the most important thing. So would the bigger problem then be that the pharmaceutical companies seemingly have done none of that internal research or investigation or anything, right? Like as far as I can tell, they're still into all of this, and WEF is talking about disease X and and the rest of it, like. That it'll just kind of come around again. Well, that's the great, that's the great risk, right? I I don't think people will put up for it. I I think that there's enough outrage. I, I think they will. Oh my God! That I that I if I if think that's they will. True, I think they would just say no. This is the real one. We we did screw up on COVID, and a lot of it was wrong. But this one, oh. it's ten times worse. And they're going to show you a video from China, some guy wigging out on the floor. And I think people would do it again. I'm maybe actually, not in certain places. I'm actually more concerned that <laughs> they do need to social distance in some meaningful way, and we don't because we don't believe them. I, I think that's uh, possible, too. Yeah, I, I think that's a higher probability and probably better. They, you know, I, I, b- before COVID era, right when it was hitting, I did an interview with a guy named Larry Brilliant. He's the world's leading expert on smallpox. And he said, you don't, you don't need to do anything when, academ- when epidemics hit. People naturally isolate. Mm-hmm. They, they watch out for themselves and they isolate socially. That's just a natural phenomenon and it is inevitable. So the idea of having all this centralization and authority on high is the problem right now. It, mm-hmm. is, it is making things worse. What do you make of the the psychological component now for young people? Because we're seeing rates of anxiety Horrible. that are through the roof. Predictable. Now, so, now drug use. All the. I mean, I think you can actually connect this to the gender confusion too. Like just everything is kind of up in the air at this point for these it, people. I just, I kept saying during the lockdowns that you were destroying eight to 15 year olds. You're destroying them. This is the age in which the peer relationship is so important and you're not allowing them that. You're handing them iPads and where they're getting sexting and watching porn anywhere. They're not getting any education. And you're telling them they can't contact their peers. And if they do, they're going to kill their family. And in the meantime, shelter in place. Remember Garcetti kept saying every night, shelter in place, shelter in place. Uh That is a phrase reserved for an incoming nuclear weapon. I, I, I kid, that's what that is. Or an active shooter. If, yeah, I'm proud to say you were at illegal parties at my house, Dr. Drew. I don't think it's going to cost you your license at this point. But <laughs> you're right. Those were illegal. It was, it, was the, it was the French underground back in those days, right? Yeah. We were like this this like group trying to put information out, trying yeah. to continue to share ideas. And uh, if you're nine years old and you're telling them that, that shelter in place and you're going to kill your family and no peer contact, of course there's going to be depression, anxiety, and developmental delays and cognitive issues it's just inevitable and on top of that there the the economy to the young people that i've spoken to looks bleak Uh, not only does the economy look bleak the the usual sorts of motivations for engagement they they can't get inspired by anything there are a lot of like who cares why do everything sucks we suck america sucks you boomers suck why do I want to dedicate my time and life life to some pursuit? What what am I going to do with it? It's really sad. So it's really it makes me crazy. That's why I said when I was going around walking around Coconut Grove and seeing a lot of young people out there socializing, I'm like, please, yes, more of this. So what what do you do? I mean, uh, from a therapist perspective, what would you do if you're you're talking, if you're talking to now to a group people. of twelve year olds who yeah. okay they were nine when this was happening, they're anxiety ridden, they're confused about a bunch of stuff. Like what what do you actually do? Like anything, you try to you know manage the conditions, whatever comes along. You try to get them to engage in reality on reality's terms, and then make a difference. How do you? Because you know most people get through crises of any type, or even mental illness of any type, for that matter, with service of some type. There's always that some sort of engagement as part of it, and you've got to get them there. And my, I, I would not be good with that population because I would say, "Aren't you angry? Aren't you pissed? Aren't you furious?" <laughs> right. You know, I'm not supposed. To, you don't do that in therapy. You don't give them your stuff. Right. But I hope they get to a place where they are furious, livid, and want to make a difference and get things back on track, where people can be inspired. There's also a spiritual malady that's been going on in this country for quite some time. And that has become acute. I, I don't know exactly what that looks like to solve it, but we, we've got to do something on that front. Where do you think the prescription drug 
uh, I would say pandemic falls into that. Maybe that's not your the, word. The over the, the overprescribing. Yeah, I saw. I saw some, yeah, I saw something. Uh, I think a week ago we showed it on the show that about ten percent of American adults are on something mm. for ADHD. You know, either Adderall or one of these mm. things. And to me, it seems like even if a huge percentage of those people, it's necessary in some yes. respect in helping them. Yes, that a. a a society that 10% of its people are drugged one way or another, there is something much bigger going on here. I, I think that's true. Like there is something bigger going on. And in terms of the medication, I think we are, this is what always happens in mental health. We are, are at once over prescribing and under prescribing. People, I mean, again, look at the streets. Yeah. Uh, people who need medication are getting it. And if they don't want to take it, you're supposed to just go, okay. That when they die because they don't, and then there are people that come in with a little um, ordinary misery. When, when uh, Sigmund Freud first, is, I don't know if this is an apocryphal story or not, but Sigmund Freud apparently when he hit the, hit the shores in New York, reporters came up and said, Dr. Freud, what do you hope to achieve here in America? And he said, well, I hope to understand the difference between real mental illness and ordinary misery. <laughs> and we have, we have lost track it's of ordinary misery. a good title for a book, Ordinary Misery. It's a good idea. I'm, you can I'm, have I'm it. You can, it's, no, it's fine. You can have it. You can have it. <laughs> but, but we need ordinary misery. It's yeah. good for us. It's how we create resiliency and how we solve problems. And we are, we are intolerant of ordinary misery. And at the same time, we've lost track of what it even means to be happy. And happiness has become this, what's called, I think we've talked about this before, eudaimonic happiness, um, excuse mm -hmm. me, hedonic happiness, yeah. which is this, woohoo, which is great. I love that kind of happiness. But it, it doesn't last, and it's always a, an appetite of drive to more, more, more. Eudaimonic happiness, which is an active engagement in a meaningful, nourishing life, people don't even understand what that is anymore. So it's basically sort of the difference between a sense of purpose, which would be the latter, and just like, I'm having a great time today because I'm going to the amusement park. A, a good life and a party. <laughs> and I, when I first started thinking about this different, I thought, oh yeah, my heroin addicts are super happy. First yeah. hit of the day. <laughs> is that, are they happy? Is that happiness? But they're happy in that moment, but it's, it's not happiness. Happiness and, you know, I sort of, lately I've been, people have been resonating with this when I say, look, Jesus Christ lived a purposeful, good life. Wasn't always happy. If he had focused on hedonic tone, on that kind of happiness, things would have turned out quite differently. And often a good life is a life of sacrifice, a life of engagement, a life of, of work, of doing th hard work. So how do you, all right, we talked about how you can get people off some of the drugs, let's yeah. say. How do you get people off all of the wrong ideas now when you also have a generation that is confused about sexuality? Yeah. They're confused about the founding of the nation, just that, yeah. that freedom is bad and good, you know, up yes. is down and two plus two is five, all of those things. That's a different type of addiction. Different problem. Uh, I think reality has a way of asserting itself. I think reality, I'm, I'm watching, you know, sort of my children's peer age kind of wake up in the real world and kind of go, oh, well, maybe that isn't so, maybe that wasn't so true, or maybe I was a little deep in it. Ideology, whenever ideology takes hold, humans suffer. They just do. Uh, I mean, just look at history. So we need to really hammer, I mean, there's so much engagement in social media. You can talk about freedom. You can bring ideas out that they haven't heard before. You can constantly push historical sort of tidbits out so people come to understand what what this country is founded on and what the other histories of other countries have been that we can learn from that we, they seem totally disconnected from and so it's it's um i just think persistence i think keeping it going and allowing reality to assert itself and then i'm hoping a real anger will emerge in young people where they go hey i was i was taught some bullshit and they, i believed it and now it didn't serve me well, and I'm angry about it. It's funny, the therapist who wants people to be angry. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm, a, I'm an internist. You got to remember, yeah. I'm an internist by training. Right. So I go back to my medical roots, even though right. I worked in a psychiatric hospital for 35 years. But yes, I want people to be furious. But is the, I guess, counter to that, that the doom scrolling and the yeah. endless amount of well, information. It's nice to have the good information out there, but that thing also, and the filters on pictures and nobody yeah. thinks they look right and yeah. all of the rest of it. We, well, we the another. screens are a problem. The yeah. screens are no, no doubt. The screens are part of of the distress that's going on right now, particularly for young people. So, what do you it, do about that? You know, a, the cat I'm, is I'm out of the. You to solve problems. I know <laughs> the the horse is out of the barn uh, for a lot of the, a lot of generations, and particularly sort of um, 
millennial age. They're, you're not going to take them away from screens and Gen Z probably not either. But you need to, there needs to be a consensus that of limiting screen time for the younger kids. You've got to do it. It's hard. And the only way it'll happen is if all parents in every given community do it together, because otherwise it'll be just sharing screens during the day and stuff. Right. So, yeah. So, okay. So you have so a bunch your of- kids, you know, you've got to re- it's going to be hard. I've got something for you. I'll coach you up. Yeah, do you? She, she's mean, a psychologist that just specializes in this area. I can and, see it now. And everybody yeah. says, oh, well, my kids are never going to be on the screens. And it's like, yes, you might want a, a nice quiet dinner at a restaurant one night and you hand them the iPad and then it's five years later. And then they're just, whatever they do, they're making cookies on that thing. <laughs> I get it. You, we, yeah. we have multiples. When yeah. you're, you're in survival mode, yeah. when you have multiples, we absolutely would have thrown- there are kids on screen just to survive. Do you know about Miss Rachel? Do you no. know Miss Rachel? Miss Rachel is like this huge YouTuber, and supposedly she's like the one, you know, she's an early educator. So Captain supposedly Kangaroo. she's the one. Yeah, but it's like, it's not flashy, and it's okay. not fast, and it's not destroyed. So she's the one. So basically the only thing I watch now is Miss Rachel. I just put on Miss Rachel. But we don't even give, even that, we try to limit it to just a yeah, few yeah. minutes just before dinner so we can sit down for good. a second. Okay, but good. it's But I can see the challenge, and it's almost... To me, it strikes me as just an unwinnable, there's just no win, because we all wish we were better with these things. Yes. Even me, a guy that takes a month off in August, and I try not to tweet on weekends and all that stuff. Nobody's perfect. So we're, no, there's no perfect parent. We're screwed. And, you, and your kids will hate you for a little while. Yeah. Like, no, you know how good. But, but it's okay. They'll be good. They'll be, they'll be good. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just thinking about South Park again, and w- one of the things we did that maybe was inadvisable, I watched South Park with my sons, particularly probably from about sixth grade on, and I I've always felt okay about it, even though there was some inappropriate stuff in there, because we discussed it all, and we talk about uh-huh. it, and those guys... I, what is your take? I, I, I've been dying all so, day to yeah, talk yeah, to you yeah. about this. So what, what? You're re- what you're referencing for people that haven't seen is we've put out a couple of these videos where I'm watching South Park for the first time. Which I can't was, believe- it was my guy's idea. So the reason, so you must have missed that. The reason that we did it the first time was because I was a Simpsons guy. So 1989, The Simpsons came out. Okay. And I, I still love the Cosby show. That was obviously before Bill had, well, I guess he was having his adventures, but but there was this Who big knew? there was this big debate because they were both on at the same time, which one was going to take over. And I loved Cosby and I loved The Simpsons. And then I went the Simpsons route. And then that was 89. And then yeah. around 95, 96, South Park came up. But Simpsons was, you know, season seven, season eight, yeah. like primo best years of the simpsons yes and i was just like i'm only gonna watch one cartoon okay that was my policy and then family guy came in around and then so yeah like later in the last 10 years i've watched some family guy that but i just basically was just like no i'm a simpsons guy i get it and that's it that's how i am with like star wars lord of the rings i'm like i like robots you know the little dwarfs with hairy feet. No, I get it. for other people. This guy, yeah, he I, loves them. You can only do so much, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's world. why. So that's why I never watch it. But but of course, everyone's always saying to me, "Dave, you got to watch." Did you see this? Do you see it? So now we've started watching them, and uh, I have to tell you, these people are ill mentally. Th- they're <laughs> ill, but they have no, no. It's so twisted and, and dark twisted and, and weird Ill. and insane and brilliant. Yeah. But they have crystal brains. Yeah, they they can see the future. They, it's amazing. They never. They're always about three years ahead of the game in in extreme ways where you think, oh my god, this is over the top. I remember. I remember, did you see? Uh, you're you're still early yeah, in the game. Yeah, well, I'm all over the place. Yeah. They just pick random ones. So, all maybe right, uh, gentlemen, get them the one where PC principal is uh, at the fraternity house going down the hall with the yeah. They yeah, exactly. They're, they're all, <laughs> so, <laughs> excited, everybody. Is that like drug use? Because <laughs> because when that happened, yeah. I, I thought oh, I thought oh my god, you know. Then I thought oh, and now it happened. Now and, it's actually happening. Now people are doing that. Well, even I did watch one or they showed me one when they were doing this member berry thing that like yeah. everything is just like yeah. a retread of everything yeah. before and that also sort of seems i think sort of psychologically why we're kind of screwed at the moment that we can't as a society we don't create anything new anymore we reboot star wars we reskin a you know yes. a marvel movie that our dreams are now just becoming like vestiges of a, an earlier more creative time that's not healthy for a society well but i i i don't hmm, i think it's a combination of factors i mean i think when things go negative, there's a natural nostalgia. Why there would be nostalgia for the worst decade in American history, the 70s, I yeah. cannot imagine. But there seems... <laughs> but but there give me a little 80s. Come on, 80s. 80s good. was lovely, and yeah. it was fun. And that's that's the thing that's missing now is fun, right? And the 80s were fun. And so I'm seeing little hints that maybe something like that is, is sort of uh, emerging. Go ahead. No, well, I was just, as you were saying that, like it seems to me also partly what's missing is that we've so atomized sex now 
because porn is now everywhere yeah. and it's a private thing for people. And yeah. it's like, we can joke about it, but nobody talks about it. Yeah. But like, there's nothing sexy anymore. There's no, there aren't sexy movies. There aren't sexy TV shows. Yeah. There used to be yeah. magazines. If you went to the supermarket and you'd see like a sexy person on a magazine, you, it, it was just something that was there. We, it's just like sex is gone. Men are women now. Yeah. We're told fat is, is hot. Like right. something about that also seems like it's really screwing with people. It, it, it is. Young people are not having sex. At least the majority of them are not. The way. I mean, we, it used to be fun. We used to, they used to try to engage with people. You want, you try to have sex with people, but now that goes as problems with consent, objectification, fetishization, bizarre. It just, it just gets a label. Or the app. You just know every freaking thing about that person first. You know, all their likes and dislikes, all yeah. the food they like. There's just yeah. no mystery. Yeah. And the other thing is that these are constructed identities too online. And it's it, 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 the, and the, the skill of going up to somebody, there's a whole app empty set of the skill of dating and meeting and getting to know people. And that's, that's how the self emerges is into an interpersonal context. And we need to practice lots of that to decide who we are in a relationship, what we like in other people, how we fit with other people takes a lot of time and energy to figure that out what do you make of the porn part of this specifically related to psychological yeah. like stuff because i was you remember the uh what was his name jeffrey tubin on cnn mm. so he gets caught whacking off on a zoom call yep and to me what was funny about that not was that he was doing it as much as like in between being on cnn that's what he's doing like yes. like but that a lot of people are doing that. Yes, that is like that's, that's like just there now. Consuming and compulsive, yeah. and it's it is um, it's been a grave concern of mine uh, from the addiction standpoint because that's where we're seeing lots of that. We don't have any idea the full impact on young people. Uh, I will tell you what I saw. I've seen over the last 15, 20 years is young males feeling frightened. They don't want to be seen as objectifying women or being ma toxic masculine, so they pull back. They certainly wouldn't talk to somebody who has a beer in their hand because that's, you know, they, they can't consent then, and, you know, you're, again, seen as a predator. It still happens a lot where men are t told that that's the case. Mm -hmm. They pull back, they head off into the porn, and they sort of hide there, like, okay, I, I'm okay, I'm, I got the, my porn, and I, and, and they miss the devi developmental milestones of dating and, you know, learning to do those things. And for the first time, I had a show that just ended this year. It's kind of a sort of a Loveline esque show called uh, Doctor Drew After Dark over at your mom's house, Tom Segura and his wife Christina P. And on that show, for the first time in my career of talking to young people. Young males were starting to talk about visiting prostitutes. Huh. This was becoming part of the option to right. deal with the, the loneliness and the disconnect. And that's not good. Right. That's right. going to be a real mess. That's probably just the next extension of the OnlyFans thing. Then they're just like, oh, well, you could also pay them for this. Literally. I mean, or Same physically. person, maybe. And, who knows? I mean, yeah. somebody like, or who knows what? Yes, it's all... It all goes there. And then now I'm hearing from women going, where are the men? Right. What's going on here? I, there are no, yeah, that's, and so now young women are dating much older men and, and these poor guys in the middle here are just, uh, oh my God, it's just, it's just. I, that's like, that's actually exactly what I wanted to ask you next. Cause I'm seeing a ton of that. I know a lot of girls, like let's say 25 to 40 year old girls yeah. that are single, cool, good looking, good job, seemingly together. Yeah. And they cannot find guys, period. Yeah. And yeah. that that's a really weird thing. That's I didn't even think of the, well, now they find older men thing. But, they do that. But and, that's and, not good for family building. And no, and there's no sense of that or, or what even a family does. I mean, why that is important in terms of the foundational sort of units of culture and, and, and a society and the, the most appropriate healthy environment to raise children, two people committed to each other. Susan was saying that uh, she thinks also women also are sort of unrealistic about what men are with how they work and and because they're not doing the kind of dating where you learn how men what men are mm. uh, in these heterosexual couples they they're just they're they're unclear about what it would even be like to be with a young male. What do you think? We're, we're, you know, we're kind of animals as, when we're younger. We're, <laughs> we're animals, period, right? I'm not, I'm not a doctor, but uh, we, we are, are primates. But, but I mean, I, you know, it doesn't matter orientation or gender, gender identity, whatever. May, X, Y males tend to be intense when they're young. When, when did you first see the kind of crazy explosion of of the gender confusion? Like, obviously, in practice and in everything, you you saw 
Are gay you, people and lesbians and yeah, everything yeah. else. Yeah. Um, but it, then that it became this other thing that we're seeing. I, I started seeing a fair number of male to female transgender in the psychiatric hospital. That's where, that's where I encountered them uh, a lot. Um, and it, it was an interesting group. I was, you know, perfectly accepting. I didn't, I didn't sit in judgment or mistreat my patients anyway. And, and I, and, and then I remember when my kids went to college, so it had been around 2011 is when, boom, it just all of a sudden was everywhere, this theory, theory. And I, I you know, Jordan Peterson talks about this, that, that this whole f- reliance on theory is ideology, right? Mm-hmm. And he sees it as coming out of this post-structuralism. And the fact that post-structuralists took hold in academia in this country, and therefore the truth has no meaning, right? That's sort of one of the post-structuralist principles. It's just, you know, whose truth? And, you know, it's so funny. The, the I've heard a couple of French philosophers talk about post-structuralism, and, they, and their thing is like, I cannot believe the U.S. philosophers or the U.S. Uh, academics are so interested in these guys from 75 years ago, 100 years ago, that we cast out in the 1960s or 70s. They're just useless, and they were wrong. That's the other thing. Guys like Michel Foucault, Mm -hmm. just demonstrably incorrect in what he was saying, and the rest of them just poisonous in terms of saying there's no such thing as truth. I was talking to Bill Maher the other day, and I said, he went to Cornell and went to Amherst, and I said, you know, we, we were taught to ascend to an approximation of the truth to struggle to try to get to the truth and i said i see it in you i know that's your training and he sort of reflected back that yeah we kind of have that heritage together and it doesn't really exist that much anymore it's hard to find it yeah it's funny my audience because i talk about bill a lot obviously and my audience is always like dave but he's always ends up voting the wrong way and supporting all the wrong people but i'm like but the quest is there yeah and i can't you know someone gets to the wrong conclusion i, I can play with that i can work with that i can be friends with that of course. i can't be friends with, with the lunacy that wants to destroy everything that's a fundamental difference right no you have do you know bill yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i mean you guys are, then, i yeah. was thinking you'd be yeah. right have you, you ob- been on you uh, obviously didn't watch real time about two months ago dave rubin they said it was the best episode in 20 years and and they and you guys get all got on together. Yeah, yeah okay, we, were, good. we were good. I think you ought to do Club Random. That'd be I, you two together. Be very interesting. so. I did Club Random okay. about about a year and a half ago, maybe maybe two years now. I didn't see. And uh, I told him that uh, I was going to New York the next day to ring the bell for Rumble. So I was like, I can't oh. really. I don't want to drink. Oh. I definitely can't smoke weed because I have to get on a flight. Yeah, I also yeah. don't. I've never done that on camera, and I was just like, I don't want to do any of that. Then the night goes, there's some tequila. He's, you know, he's like, the guy can smoke weed. Like, <laughs> like the glaucoma patients would be jealous. And then I, le- I left there. I was like out of my mind that I had to get on a red eye. And yeah. now I'm admitting that to you. It feels wrong to me. It's so, all right. <laughs> I, I, I drink around Bill too. So it's, it's all okay. good. It's okay. Wait, what was the point of all of that? So, okay. So you, you have all Spost- of- Post-structuralism, lack of theory, the, the, all this reliance on theory, ideology takes hold. And it, ex- it, it reached some critical mass around 2010, I think. And that's when it just kind of- So do you connect all that to the craziness of our politics too, that then yeah. people have just sort of injected politics as if politics is going to give them meaning everything else has been kind of blown well, apart and, I, I and ripped think, apart again you're asking me to speculate it's all high degree of speculation these are just thoughts i have but i think part of that is yes this sort of drift from reality into theory and that there is such a spiritual vacuum both spiritual from a sense of some higher power or purpose and interpersonal emptiness uh, we're not connected the way we should and they have the new religion has been covid or politics or something or anti-trump or something it's all it's it, it this is what's connecting people is these these extreme experiences politically and socially do you, do you think there's a weird this is sort of what i was thinking with desantis all along not, yeah. not to get so into the granular part of politics but sort of sticking with what we're doing that i kept thinking at the beginning especially that people would were so angry over covid so yes. I finally understood what freedom was, finally yes. understood all of this stuff, saw the migration pattern, my my that, that all of the stuff that yep. people were, people finally were going to be like, all right, I want a serious leader who's decent and yeah. competent and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And, and that's exactly what he gave them. But what I the, subsequently, the Santa. that, yeah, that's what he gave them. But what I subsequently realized, maybe at a national level, is that people really just want the show. They want the bread in the circus in a way. I don't say that as someone that I don't have Trump derangement syndrome and I yep. voted for him last time yep. and I'm most likely voting for him this time, but, yep. but that in a weird way, he's, he's giving them something that clearly has nothing to do with politics. It's just, he's giving them something that they just kind of want inside rather than waking up every day and being like, 
wait, there's no show. I'm going to have to just go about I, my life. Something. I, I hate to think of it as show. I, I think of it more as some sort of high school popularity. Content. Yeah. All right. Fair yeah, enough. That yeah. kind of thing. And uh, like Nikki Haley, mm, yeah, I like her, but you know, it's like what? Right. We, no one's discussing what she represents. What right. you want to do? What has she done? Right. She's an ambassador to the UN, right? It's yeah. Like, she's some Under Trump. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, and you never hear that discussion. It's all just right. uh, she's being funded by whomever. So yeah, that is gravely, gravely concerning that we are so primitive in how we approach, and then what the the path is to those positions seems very nefarious it, it just doesn't feel like how it was supposed to be doesn't it what, what would it look like to st- if we started repairing some of this stuff i mean it from I, where I, we started have... with like mental health and we started repairing some of our institutions and the media like do you think like we actually could do it i'm starting to just come around to like oh it really can't be done but we'll just have pockets of places either online or in reality perhaps again this state that like, yeah, it'll work. And then, and then for large swaths of formerly free, sane people, they're just going to live in like the desolation of, of craziness. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope you're wrong. Um, but Adam Carolla, who I was here in Florida presenting yeah. podcasting awards to him, he didn't show up. Who didn't show here. up to <laughs> Somehow that seems very unfair. You guys have worked together for decades. You're giving him an award that he doesn't. He know, sent a I video. <laughs> Didn't play, didn't work, but he said, it, so, uh, but anyway, he gave us an excuse, come see you. So yeah, and that's, and that's really what we sort of leaned into. We were like, oh, we're going to South Florida where everyone's happy yeah. and we get to see Dave. Um, he keeps saying that it's going to be safe spaces and octagons that the, he sort of conceives of it that way. It's going to be more masculine, more male, more aggressive, more extreme activities of various types and more safety and more lockdowns and more, uh, safety Uber Alice. This idea of safety uberalis is the most one of the more toxic ideas right now. Uh, the fact that <laughs> that we destroyed the world, we shut the world down to to have safety as the only priority, the one and only priority, not not a consideration. No, everything else has to go over here, and safety uberalis. That's it. That that again, back to Jesus. If Jesus was concerned with safety uberalis, would it turn out quite different? quite different it is not a way to lead a good life i'm not saying you should be heedless but i'm saying you put safety as the one and only priority in your life that is back to safe spaces and octagon i'll slightly butcher it but those who give up uh liberty for safety deserve neither i mean that's that's kind of the point yeah i i had not heard that quote who is that i think that's thomas jefferson yeah. yeah it sounds like jefferson and uh i the we have got to get back to some of these common roots and and th- these people were very wise they were very, uh, th- the way they put this together, I-, I think one of our great protections is the 50 states, as much as they frustrate me. And I, I think that is the- maybe the one thing that will get us through this. I believe we will we will come to some sort of a, I just remember how quickly the 80s hit. Do you remember? Do you remember that? We I mean, I, I was born in 76, so yes, I don't young. remember how they hit. So let me just I remember tell you. Empire Strikes Back came out. Well, what happened, <laughs> let me just tell you this, because I because somebody asked me the other day, do, do I have any kind of, you know, aha moment? And, and oh, Red, Mick, Michael Malice asked me this. Yeah. Because what was a red pill moment? He loves the red pill moment. Red yeah. pill moment, yeah. And I said, well, I remember this one thing. 70s sucked. They were horrible, especially if you were an adolescent. It really, they blew and I remember. Hey, what about discos? And uh, you were you were. I was in a college and yeah. seven. I, I was. It they I, there were people that had fun, but they, they it blew for yeah. the most part. And, and and you know, just look at the architecture and the and the clothing. It's, that's all you got. <laughs> they tore down Penn Station. Yeah, because it was old. Yeah. You know, come on. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff was going on in the seventies like crazy. And uh, and I and I remember go, I I would get the Boston Globe every day. I was in Massachusetts going to school and. Uh, I remember going out there one morning and seeing this helicopter debris strewn all over the desert. It was in a, a botched attempt at saving the Iranian hostages. And, I, and it just everyone just went, oh, my God, we suck. This country's done. We're over. That's it. Get used to it, everybody. We, it's, it's just done. The economy sucks. There are no jobs. Do the best you can, but this country's going to, something else is going to happen here. And uh, so I go to medical school, and I'm about three months into medical school. And I remember I went to a house party, which had never seen anything like that. Before. Mm. First of all, I mean, never really anything was happening like that. Uh, and there were a lot of people there. And I just remember all of a sudden Devo 
whip it came on the loudspeaker. <laughs> and 100 of the people stood up and started stanting and celebrating. And I thought, oh, this is this is totally different than two months ago. Mm-hmm. These, this is joy. This is, people are happy again. So, something has changed. I just remember that moment. Now, I don't know, you know, that you can put it into some, the economy still sucked then. We had an 18%, you know, rates and it, it, things were not good. And and I don't even think Reagan was in office yet, was he? I remember you just in office. 80. Yeah. And so, yeah, okay. And just in office then. And uh, I guess he had just been shot. It really just had happened. And so that was kind of a weird, interesting time. Mm-hmm. Um, but but joy and happiness and, and enthusiasm and engagement just came out of nowhere. So I'm putting. So that's a little, the hopeful part for you. That is for me the hope. That experience gives you a little hope. I'll tell you, I've been. I said it on the show the last couple of days. I think something about this border thing is so obviously wrong. Yes. And, it, and now more and more people are seeing it, so that it's finally bubbling up to the mainstream. Yes. That it might, to me, seem like the one that could actually break people out of the malaise. Like it's just not just so, the malaise, but the the, the 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 whole thing. Yeah, the the silos. But same thing because gender the, was too confusing for people, and it's too weird. It's sexual. You don't want to talk about it. It's just like it can't be discussed over the dinner table. There's something about watching an invasion of yes. thousands of people yes. that people are like, okay. Well, there's watching the invasion and then people in the town that are being invaded going, we want to protect ourselves. Yeah. And the federal government says you can't. Yeah. But this this is very dicey stuff. I I don't really understand. I was going to look it up before I came in here with you. Maybe you've read it, but I don't understand the little article in the Constitution they're relying on to 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 do this because it seems to me it's kind of a secession argument of sorts, which doesn't really exist. I heard we played a video on my show this morning about Kevin Stitt, who's the governor from Oklahoma, going into the constitutional legality of it. I mean, without getting too far in the weeds on it. In essence, the states created the federal government. Yes. And the the federal government did not create the states. And when the the federal government is in what what seems to me, at least, and this is where they're going to battle it out and further. Lack of alignment. Well, when you're in complete dereliction of your duty, the states are allowed to protect themselves. And that's, that's sort of what the argument is, which I'm in line with that argument. Oh, completely. But I I mean, people just forget what the constitution, the primary purpose form a more perfect union amongst the states, the states are the primary units. And if the states are being destroyed by the federal government, the states, I mean, but this is what the secession argument was. It's just that we had, there is no, there's no thing called secession, seceding, because this is a, a contract of equals. And so both sides have to dissolve it or but, nobody dissolves it. Well, the inherent problem ultimately would be that the red states, I think, would leave and be quite happy about it. And the blue states will never let them leave. That would be the kind of fundamental difference. Well, that's but how what about this? Because I know you have stuff. to get on a plane and go yes, back to yes, California. Yes, I do. There's about, uh, I'd say, 10 new construction homes within 20 blocks. It's here. <laughs> all, within what, all within what I would suspect are the Dr. Drew budget. <laughs> I think you should take a little drive around. We did drive around. Look at this stuff getting here. We we had like weird uh, Flor- Florida envy. Uh, well, and, then I've done my job. And how many times have I said that to you, right? I mean, you, you must get tired of me saying it to you. Just like, just either no, come it's, uh, it's very rewarding, actually. Come in here or don't. <laughs> no, it's, it's very rewarding. People say it to me everywhere. I brought more people into Florida, voting the right way, of course, than than anyone. So I, that's uh, it'll be on my epitaph one day. I, I think the I think we not we got to stop worrying about voting the right way. I just it's I think Bill said this. Bill Moore said it, it's sanity never sin sanity. We just got to get everybody sane and lined up and and uh, do take a good look at revolutionary France, everybody, because the, it it can things can go really bad really fast. Same thing with understand your Civil War history, understand the, the American experiment, what we were intending with it, the great thoughts. It, it, you have a responsibility to do that. You really do. On that note, let's go into my house and you can let me know if I'm raising these kids right. I can't wait. (laughs) Susan will, at least. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.